On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Time to talk about a fence north of the border. Sinn Féin have made history there, emerging for the first time as the largest party in local government in the north after local elections left them with 144 seats. That's an increase of 39 from the last elections four years ago. Uh, joined on the line by David McCann, Deputy Editor of Slugger O'Toole, and by Alex Kane, Unionist commentator and former UUP press officer. Good morning to you both. Um, David, we'll start with yourself. Um, Sinn Féin, 144 seats uh, and winning them not necessarily at the expense of other Unionist parties. It's a remarkable result, isn't it? Well, they're winning them kind of across the piece. They've, they've taken votes from the SDLP. They've also managed to bring out, from what I can decipher, um, a lot of new voters as well. You know, Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin voters turned up on May 18th. They got their base out and they have managed to take away votes from the SDLP kind of across the piece. But they've also managed to take away votes from the Alliance Party out west. Alliance have not had a great day in the western part of Northern Ireland. Um, so, uh, as you're saying there, a phenomenal day for Sinn Féin, actually a record since the modern local government era, which is 1973 onwards in Northern Ireland. A party has never broken the 30% first preference vote share barrier. A party has never broken um, uh, the 140 seat barrier mm. um, in a Northern Ireland local election. And they've done it. The, the, Sinn Féin have scored the best ever local government election result of any party. It's a massive success for them. And Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou MacDonald uh, looked looked very happy over the weekend, mm. and their smiles just um, just just got bigger and bigger as as Friday started off. People were projecting at around about six p.m. Sinn Féin winning one hundred and twenty-five seats, which became one hundred and thirty, which became one hundred and thirty-five. And then ended up at 144 seats. So yeah. an absolutely amazing result. Uh, quite remarkable. Um, Alex, d- despite that, um, the DUP still coming back with exactly what they had at the start, 122 seats. It's the UUP who have made the losses. Um, do you agree with David's assessment that it's more a case of the nationalist side getting their voters to show up and that then by by, analog- by analogy that it's the unionists who just decided not to bother that they were demotivated this time? Oh, oh yes, that's absolutely right. And while the DUP will be reasonably happy that they, they took no seat losses. They'll still be disappointed. The overall vote, their overall vote is slightly down in previous elections. The, the unionist vote overall is, is down again. Um, I think it's also, it's a psychological thing in all of this because last year in the, in the assembly election uh, last May, um, when Sinn Féin disembarked, quite slightly, if you like, um, uh, as the largest party in Northern Ireland, there was a feeling around unionism. They tried to say this, this election is not just about bins and burials and dogs and things. This election is about, you know, unionism restating its position yeah. as the largest, you know, demographic within within Northern Ireland. This is huge blow. I mean, had, had Sinn Féin just nudged ahead by maybe, you know, 1% and one seat, the DUP could have shrugged their shoulders. But as David says, this is astonishing. 144 seats putting up their election share by 8%. Massive, massive march across Northern Ireland. So is, is that to say then, Alex, that, that the Unionists set out in this, that like you say, it wasn't just about bins and, and dog wardens or whatever, it wasn't about the business of local government, it was actually about this is a pointed effort to restate Unionist supremacy in terms of raw numbers at the ballot box. And if so, well then it's failed pretty mis- dismally, hasn't it? It, it has, uh, it did, because I think it, it's... If you look at some of the, the, the polls, and, and David will know this as well, which said that something like 66% of all unions, all unions who voted in the last assembly election, oppose the protocol, oppose the Windsor framework, support the DUP boycott of, of the assembly. 
these figures don't bear that out. I mean, you would have thought that the, in all of that, the unionism would have come out maybe an extra 30, 40, 50, 60,000 votes. None of them came out. In fact, the vote went down again. And it's one of those things, Gavin, David will know that this has been one of my bugbears for years. I have no idea. I have no idea. What, and I know I can sense the anger over protocol. I can sense the anger over the Windsor framework. But there's almost, I think, the, the British and Irish governments need to be aware of this. I think there's a growing tendency, I think, within unionism. We've seen it over the last two or three elections. They are drifting away from the Good Friday Agreement. They're drifting away from devolution. And there's almost a sense they couldn't be bothered voting for local government, whether it be at the council level or whether it be at assembly level. And I think that's an enormously difficult issue. Because even for Geoffrey Donaldson of the DUP, who wants to go back into the assembly, he will look at these figures. And while he can say, yes, we didn't lose much, mm. they gained nothing. And yeah. elections are about more than just holding fair, particularly when your primary opponent is sorely ahead. Yeah, it's a shrinking pie, all right. Well, on that note, David, because there's two ways to read this, and by, by way of back context, we'll remember that the DUP had set up this internal committee last March to decide mm-hmm. whether the Windsor framework was enough to warrant it going back into power-sharing instalments. We got that report about six weeks ago. No one knows exactly what's contained in it. The DUP sat on it until this side of the elections. Coming back out with exactly the same number of seats as you went in could be argued as a mandate to uh, endorse what they've done so far, which is to stay out, or it could be a mandate to go back in because they didn't make any gains, even though the Ulster Unionists were falling back. So it could be interpreted either way, could it? Yeah, it could. And look, ultimately, I think the real contest that the DEP was paying attention to was the contest between themselves and the TUV. Most Unionist voters are priced in that Sinn Féin were going to become the largest party in this election uh, for the very simple reason of they did it last year in, in a bigger body of the Northern Ireland Assembly. Yeah. So what, the TUV, so what, by the way, for people who aren't familiar, is the traditional unionist voice. It's more hardline, uh, yeah. I was going to say fringe unionist party, but fringe no longer, I suppose. Well, led uh, led by Jim Alster, they didn't have a great day. They only elected nine councillors. They, they went into this election with with five. They only elected nine. They didn't make big inroads in unionist heartland. So, for example, if I look at the North Antrim district electoral areas in Mid and East Ulster Council, they had a swing away from them in Ballymena. They only had marginal swings of within two points to them in the other DEAs as well. Uh, one is, is is three points, but wasn't wasn't big gains everywhere else. They missed out on a on a, on a host of, of key targets. The TV elected actually more councillors in 2014 than they elected um, actually yesterday. So does that so, mean then if, if the endorsement of the TUV isn't there, does that mean then that those who were voting for the DUP, you might infer that they're broadly happy then at this point to go back into Stormont? Well, I, I think I think this would give Jeffrey a bit more confidence going back. If you look at the combined Ulster Unionist TUV DUP vote, the DUP are taking north of 61% of that vote. So they're unquestionably, unquestionably they speak. For a majority of unionist voters. Now the question is, does Jeffrey Thomason um, uh, take that mandate to, to, to potentially go back in? Uh, because the, the essential problem is, is that the standstill strategy, and I noted uh, Tim Kearns, who's a former DEP special advisor, was tweeting out about this last night. Uh, the standstill strategy is kind of running out of road for the DP. They do need to pick a lane about what they're going to do. Are they going to stay out in perpetuity or are they going to go back in? I think most DEP voters do want to go back in for the, the most DP members, sorry, do want to go back in for the very simple reason of they have nowhere else really to go. And the DP, Gavin, don't forget, over the last 20 years have got very comfortable of being a party of power. Yeah. They like being a party of influence and they like being a party that can actually run this. Because don't forget, the DP hasn't had great experiences over at Westminster over the, over the past number of years. Even during Confidence Supply, 
that was not a great experience for them. Yeah. So the DEP, I think, I think know the value of devolution. And yeah. know the value so of if, if the power is sitting there on the table and it's theirs to take, then there's an attitude that they might just want to take it. Um, Alex, about your uh, the party which you were formerly a press officer, the Ulster Unionists, um, I don't want to sort of start just saying the words terminal decline, but it's it's a loss and a loss and upon a loss and a loss and it's a decline upon a decline upon a decline, down 21 seats now to 54 it sort of seems like Doug Beatty, for all the promise that there was of there being a space for a vibrant, liberally minded unionist party, it all seems to be dissolving away. Well, that, that, that is, and I think that the, 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 uh, the UUP will be particularly disappointed because they had hoped, and they have this, again, David will know this, every couple of elections, they have a different leader and they feel somehow there's, a, there's an oomph on the ground that somehow they're going to make the breakthrough. But I, what, what, what interests me about the, the Ulster Unionist Party is that we're told, and I'm one of the people that believes it, that there is there is space in in Northern Ireland for a, if, if you like, a, a broad, consensual, left of centre, liberal type unionist vehicle. And we know that if you look, go back to the referendum 25 years ago, about 150,000 people from a pro-union background who hadn't voted for years came out to endorse the referendum, and all went back home again. And I think that the, the, the difficulty, not simply for the UUP, but for those who, who would take a, you know, that, that view on, on liberal unionism, the very people they need to attract are not been attracted, no matter how liberal the, the Ulster Union Party tries to Yeah, is that because they're, they're going to the Alliance Party? Because if, if you're in favour of the status quo constitutionally, then you might feel like the Alliance well, Party are a more bona fide liberal party than the UUP will ever be. No, interestingly, they're not. This is the thing. Some Ulster Unionists are certainly going to the Alliance Party, and it, it's but they will remain Ulster Unionists in the in the sense that if there's a border poll, they will almost certainly vote for the um, the, the status quo and so on. But I said the people that the, the non-voting Unionists, you know, and we, there's a large block of them out there. They they're not voting Alliance either. They're just not voting, which begs the question: What exactly does a unionist party need to do? Alliance isn't even trying to reach them because it doesn't need to reach them because it's picking up enough from elsewhere. But for a liberal unionist, which which if if, if it's what the unionism wants as a contrast to to more traditional forms of unionism, the only way that is going to make that breakthrough is if, the, if these people who were willing to vote 25 years ago for this form of devolution settlement actually could be bothered to get off their backsides and come out and vote mm. for it again. Because uh, they will complain and complain and complain, but they won't vote. Um, in a sentence, by the way, do you think that the DUP holding what it has in a time when, when unionism is on a decline, is that an endorsement for Jeffrey Donaldson to go back in? Yes. I think it is. I think uh, I think Jeffrey's always wanted to go back in. I've said this for months now, since he became leader, that he's a devolutionist to his fingertips. He knows he doesn't want direct rule, but he allowed himself to be spared by circumstance and by the harder wings of unionism who don't want. And David will know this as well. These are people who don't care if the assembly collapses. They don't care if devolution collapses. Indeed, some of them are, I think, are, are actively working. They've used the protocol, the framework document, as a vehicle to try and end um, devolution. Mm. But Jeffrey Donaldson knows that that is a hopeless, okay. useless, pointless route for unionism. He will find a way in. And oddly enough, the one thing about this, Gavin, which I think it might be interesting, is that the British government might look at this and think, OK, OK, Jeffrey needs need to help. If we want devolution, we need to find some form of words. And I believe, I've, I've talked to enough people, I believe there is a form of words. But the British government will not give Jeffrey Donaldson that form of words until he says to them in advance, Give me that form of words yeah. and, 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 and it will do. Yeah, they won't give him any more gestures until they know it's going to be enough. Um, finally, yeah. David, um, the SDLP, again, I don't want to shout terminal decline again, but again, it's a loss upon a loss upon a loss. Yeah. Down 20 seats now, 39 seats out of 462 uh, within Northern Ireland. Um, 
it's beginning to win an increasingly homogenous block within nationalism and it's hard to know where there's a space for the SDLP. Yeah, I mean, the SDLP have lost votes and seats at every local government election since 1993, so this is just continuing on, uh, a declining trend. For them, Sinn Féin have taken around 76% of the national vote uh, combined across Northern Ireland, which is astonishing. Um, uh, and look, the SDLP did have a couple of bright spots. Belfast, they did well. They actually gained a seat in Black Mountain over in West Belfast. They increased their vote by two-thirds in the Sashara in South Belfast. They had a good result in Botanic in South Belfast. So Belfast was a bright spot for them. But it was a disaster nearly everywhere else um, uh, for, for the party. They've lost 20 seats. There does need to be a radical think about what they do. Interestingly enough, um, I think this result probably secures Eastwood's result because whilst it was bad, it wasn't as bad as some feared. Some people feared they may, that they may have lost 10 more seats than they actually did. Okay. But the party does need to radically think about its space in Northern Ireland politics and within nationalism. And it'll be interesting to see where they go with that over the next months and years. All right, uh, lots of food for thought there, gents. Thank you very much, uh, both very much for offering your analysis. Alex Kane, Unionist commentator, and uh, David McCann, who's the deputy editor of the website Slugger Tool. Uh, I see one observation, by the way, that although AIN2 didn't win any seats, that their transfers enabled a DUP candidate to get over a line in local councils. Uh, stranger things have happened, but not too many stranger ones. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.